0: Welcome to the Modern Cloister, where we cultivate deeper thinkers and worshipers through conversations about the Christian life, in the same spirit as the conversations that took place during the Reformation at the Black Cloister, the former monastery and home of Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. I'm Carissa, and I'm here with Kevin, and we're so glad that you've joined us here at the Modern Cloister. If you like the types of conversations we've been having, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, to connect with us on social media at Carissa Turner and the J. Kevin Turner, and send us your thoughts, questions, experiences, and suggestions for future topics to moderncloister at gmail.com. Today we are rounding out our series on the five solas, which are the five foundational doctrines of the Protestant Reformation that are still as relevant today as they were in the 16th century. They marked the breaking away of what is now the Protestant Church from the Catholic Church and continue to provide the basic foundations of our theological beliefs. However, while they remain incredibly important today, many people, including Christians, are unaware of them or do not fully understand their implications to their everyday life and the life, practices, and beliefs of the Church. In this episode, we are going to talk specifically about the last of the five solas, Sola Deo Gloria, or God's Glory Alone. However, if you have not yet listened to our introduction of the Reformation and our episodes on Sola Scriptura, or scripture alone, Sola Gratia, grace alone, Sola Fide, faith alone, or Sola Christus, Christ alone, we encourage you to do so before listening to this episode, as it will provide essential historical background and context for these doctrines and our overall discussion. As we begin today, we're going to talk first about the relationship between this Sola and the others. So Kevin, tell us a little bit about that.
1: God's glory alone is it's kind of the end game. It's the explanation, the culmination of, of all the others together. You have, it's kind of the why to everything. So we have scripture alone, as in not our traditions or mm-hmm. um, whatever decrees we may want to say, because it's all it's all God's glory. That's that's the whole point. Um, and that's going to be the same thing with you know, is it faith alone, or is it faith plus some of our works? Because if it's some of our works, and it's not God's glory, or it's only partially God's glory. But this, this is kind of in looking back, summarizing everything else, saying it's God's glory alone. And this is kind of interesting one as we talk through this. The, uh, if you wanted to look for thoughts on Scripture, there are plenty of them, especially in the New Testament, Kings, you know, it kind of threw out the importance of the written words of the Bible. Uh, obviously you can read Romans for the faith alone, the Christ alone. There's a lot of kind of key verses people are going to point to for all those. You won't really find that for this one necessarily, for God's glory alone. What you're going to have is from the beginning of the Bible, when God created to the end where he makes a new creation, Mm -hmm. is all about God's glory. So it's not about us. It's about his glory and him saving us and him restoring us.
0: I would say a quick definition as we begin unpacking this a little bit more, is that God's glory alone is really just that, that it is God's glory alone and that of no other creature is the supreme end of all things, that it's what holds all the solas together, which you pointed to uh, just a moment ago. It's really the why behind everything. And there is a great quote from John Calvin that I'm going to read to just set the tone for what we're about to discuss a little bit. It says, We never truly glory in him until we have utterly discarded our own glory. The elect are justified by the Lord in order that they may glory in Him and in none else. That quote really speaks to the power and the place of importance that God's glory alone really has in this conversation as the the final end point and the reason that all of this even happened and exists in the first place. So before walking into a deeper view and an expanded view of what God's glory really is, let's talk as we like to do about the history of this doctrine in its time and place during the Reformation, the claim for God's glory alone, how did that relate to the others and what was happening in this space in the discussions the Reformers were having with the church?
1: Yeah, I think we've said this on every podcast so far, I think, in this series, that the key here is alone. Obviously, no no church, no denomination, I mean, no one is going to deny God's glory. That would be Ridiculous! I, I <laughs> yeah. can't even yeah. think of like the most uh, out there things. I'm actually trying to come up with an example. I mean, there's just you wouldn't have a religion. There's no religions that would deny God's glory. Again, it's it's that's why it's called the five solas. Um, you know, it is it's the alones. It's that's that's the part that really sticks out is that with Rome, it wasn't God's glory alone. You know, of course, they believe in God's glory, God's greatness, but you know, whenever you add us into it, we become a part of it. We become part of our justifications. as we talked about in some of the others. We become part of our salvation, really. Uh, if, if it's our works, if it's, if it's more than our faith, if it's more than Christ, if it's more than Scripture, then it can't be God's glory alone. And so that's, that's really where the dispute came in. And the Reformers would look to the magisterium and say, no, the whole, the whole thing is God's glory. And so for everything we, we've said throughout this series, that's – I don't know how to say it. It's what we keep saying so far in it this, is, this yeah. series today is it's the it, – it's God's glory alone. And if it's not God's glory alone, then then we, we can add to it all we want. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a disputed, you know, um, Catholic theologians, the Council of Trent, they don't believe it's God's glory alone. I don't know if they would necessarily write that, but clearly they would dispute it, mm-hmm. right? So
0: Yeah. Well, there's there's a thing in our notes here that I think sums up what you're saying. Because we do nothing and add nothing to God's work of salvation, it leaves no other option than, than God's glory, mm-hmm. which is really where, where we land. That's why we where write this, things down. That's, that that's that is why true. we write things <laughs> down. It's true. So that really takes us into the, the next part of our discussion, really an expanded view of God's glory. And this is where I think the conversation really gets interesting, is because we, at least in our experience and what we see happening in the church, that we have, at least in the past century, a, a fairly narrow understanding of this doctrine we mainly see it used to be how our contributions bring glory to God. And instead of that, this doctrine really flips that around and says, no, you don't really start this doctrine with how you and your good conduct and your moral actions, even if in faithful obedience to the doctrines of God, it's not about how those are bringing glory to God, necessarily, it is really starting with God's glory from the beginning of time and taking ourselves out of the center of of the discussion. One of the books that we read in preparing for this really focused on this nicely and talked about the the imbalance that we really have in our culture, that we start the whole conversation talking about how we bring glory to God and the things that we do. And so it really is just a reorienting at the very top. And so there's a great quote that I'm going to read that talks about this and really begins the entire discussion about how God is inherently glorious and always has been. Like he was internally glorious from the very beginning. So this quote says, Glory is an attribute of God's eternal being, derived only and solely from himself. Yet God is pleased to manifest his glory in and through the world he created. He glorifies himself in scripture, in his works of creation and providence, and most amazingly by redeeming his people, who glorify him in all of their obedience and especially in worship, and whom he will bring one day to heavenly glory to attain that chief end for which he made the human race in the first place, to glorify and enjoy him forever. In this quote you see here that it takes the concept of how God has been internally glorious since the beginning of time and actually even before time because he created time hmm. and that from that point he then chose to manifest and show and reveal his glory externally through his very creation through the creation of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them through his providence in setting forth all of the all of the events of redemptive history up to through and including the actual you know, incarnation of, of Christ, his death and resurrection from the cross, his ascension into heaven, and then the promise that we have that the final consummation is coming one day. It's the entire picture of, of redemptive history that is his manifestation of his glory, showing that all things are for his own glory, that he's chosen to glorify himself, yes, through us in part, but that it's so much bigger and broader than that. There's another really great quote that touches on this that I'm going to pull up. I've loved the quotes in this book in particular, which we'll put in the notes. But it is a quote that says, Soli Deo Gloria draws us into a biblical story of creation, providence, redemption, and consummation. God's desire to glorify himself sweeps us up to him in a plot whose unending finale lands us in the new Jerusalem where God is supremely glorified in our glorification. So you see there's there's an element of our participation in his glory, but we are not adding to his glory. We simply show forth and manifest through our obedience, through our good works, yes, that we, sh- we are called to do things all for the glory of God, but that the conversation itself is so much more broad and all-encompassing than we really give it credit for in our day and age, at least in practice. And so what you see in thinking about all of this is that we get to participate in fellowship with, with Christ in glory, that part of the way that God glorifies himself, as a quote I read earlier said, amazingly, is that he glorifies us as well in fellowship with Christ. And there's this other quote that really talks about this and how this unfolds in three different stages that speak to both our life now and the one to come. And it says, believers fellowship with Christ in glory in three stages. In this life, we enjoy the first fruits of glory with Christ. At death, we will behold the face of God in light and glory. And following the resurrection and final judgment, we will enjoy perfect and full communion with Christ in glory. And so one of the things that is is often missing in our conversations about God's glory is the way in which his glory shines forth and is on display for all to see in his providential redemption of the elect, and their eventual glorification. So, what does this mean for us today? How should we live our lives in relation to this particular doctrine of God's glory alone?
1: Yeah, I think this—the major issue maybe facing our society—it's—it's it's a wider culture. It's across Christian, non-Christian, again, kind of all denominations, all people, left, right, political, everything—is uh, really—it's really the glorification of ourselves. I mean, no, nothing matters. For most people, whether they say it or not, more than themselves, their ideas, their thoughts, their feelings, um, and I, you know, we won't rehash all the all things we said across the past couple podcasts. We're trying to keep this one a little bit shorter because it is just a summary. It's it's the ending point. But like we talked about in the scripture one, especially the grace one, to the grace, the doctrine of grace is one of the hardest ones for people, to accept because we just feel we have to do something and it's why we want to add to scripture it's why we want to add to our justification it's why we want to add to christ's work we want to be a part of it because we feel we are important and what we're doing there is we're glorifying ourselves and i don't think a lot of people realize that but when you say you know i did this or that that contributed to my salvation even if you say you know again we talked about that in the grace one where people will deny it in in theory um or accept it in theory, or accept it mm-hmm. and say that they believe. You know, they don't add any works, but then the language they use. Well, you have to go and accept the grace. You have to do something. We just we don't want to give God all the glory. We mm-hmm. want some of that glory for ourselves, however big or small. And it comes out, I think, especially in the grace one, like I said. But but throughout this whole thing, and like we've said in some in, in the others, it really is. It has to be all God, because mm-hmm. there's there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mentioned one of the podcasts earlier in the series. I was hoping to read uh, Carl Truman's "The Rise Triumph," "The Triumph of the Modern Self," "Rise and Triumph," "Rise and Triumph." I think it's the life. Modern Self. Yep, go find it. It's uh, so I finished that. It's really good, and he tracks kind of starting in the Enlightenment um, and goes through the changes. He, he really focuses on uh, Marx, Freud, and Somebody else, go read the book. You'll see. <laughs> and uh, and he, his whole point. If we we've just come to this point in our lives, as a, especially Western society, Western culture, especially American, of just it's all about us. It's all about ourselves, and and whatever we think is true. It's that sort of mentality as well. That that you know, your truth, our truth, is just supreme above all else, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, So so I'd highly recommend reading that book. By the time you hear this, I think Crossway, I don't remember what the publication date, is actually coming up with a concise, uh, sort of shorter one, maybe a a little easier language and and a study with it. So I'd I'd highly, highly recommend that because that's really, that's why we need, uh, who is it, Michael Horton says all the time. Mm -hmm. We need the Reformation now more than ever, uh, at least since the original Reformation, because... Uh, it's it's the whole, it's, it's ourself, it's our own glory. And we were talking about this when we were kind of prepping for this earlier in the, in the Reformation times that theologians and reformers talked about being curved in on ourselves. yeah And I, I feel like e- even that no longer necessarily fits. We, we're, because sure, it's it's in ourselves, that's where we're coming in, but it's actually going out. We're, we're projecting <laughs> everything that's inside of us out towards other people and telling them, this is great. This is glorious. You must accept it. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 a strange place to be in. And I think we lose sight of God's glory. And um, there are ways to to focus us back into that. Did you want to talk about some of those? As yeah. I kind of I de- lose I, my train of thought. I definitely
0: do, yeah. In the whole conversation of the elevation of self, most of the antidotes are just a reminder to take your focus off of yourself, honestly. Mm-hmm. And the biggest... The biggest thing that we have for that is our corporate Sunday morning worship gatherings, is the continual week after week reminder and reorientation to God, focusing on God's glory alone, being reminded of the glory that is due to his name and not to our own, which speaks to the importance of the place of corporate worship in the life of the believer, that that is one of the places that we come together to confess our sins weekly, to confess our tendency toward elevating ourselves and focusing on ourselves, and making our own happiness and our own acclaim or our own success in whatever form or fashion we want to, to see it as, you know, the end all be all for our lives in practice. And Sunday morning, it's no, remember it is God who calls you. It is God who saves you. It is God who has cleansed you. It is God that we commune with on Sunday mornings. And so that I think as a foundational level is one of the best things that we can do to continually saturate ourselves with reminders of God's glory. And then along with that, not only the way that that we pray and approach God in our corporate settings, but then similarly in our own private times of worship and prayer, in our family times of worship and prayer, being able to orient ourselves in those, um, in those manners as well. Anything that, that we can really do to just have that foundation uh, on a day-to-day, week-to-week rhythm is going to be extremely important. And it is it's just one of the graces that is provided to us through some of those corporate elements. And I say past that, one of the things that um, that this book in particular, that's part of that five solas series um, that that he really presses forward is, um, and it's it's not called out specifically, but you can see it as a running theme throughout. It is just the foundation of humility with which any Christian should engage in all the different aspects of the Christian life. Um the, you know, the grace, the virtue of humility being really the place from which other graces really grow and thrive. And that reminder that we are created beings, that we often can forget that we are finite and that we are actually the handiwork of a God who has created us. And, and with that, I think one thing that that is really interesting in this, um, in this particular passage on self-denial, there's this whole conversation of, um, that this author has in here. Who's the author? I can't pronounce the name. That was a poor choice just now. But it's it's the it's the God's Glory Alone book in the in the Five Souls series. But it talks about the the idea of self denial and how that was really Christ's path into glorification and how ours is similar. And he talks about how human beings in- instinctively find God's way of salvation appalling, suffering first and then glory. But we are really called to model Christ and dying to self with the promise of one day being glorified in fellowship with Christ. And there's this, this great quote that says a person who does not deny self shows that he is not satisfied unless everything ends in him, Hmm. which like literally the next sentence says this sums it up. Well, (laughs) which I (laughs) I would agree. Um, And it really, it goes on to say a narcissist, which is what we're talking about. Essentially is even if you want to call it like narcissism light, (laughs) we're not all clinically narcissists, but a narcissist essentially is one who lives for himself and the one who fears and glorifies God ends up denying himself, taking up his cross in light of the age to come and in light of the glorification that is to come in Christ. And so I think whatever practices of self-denial can be present in the life of believers in recognition of what's to come and in recognition of the, the place and purpose of, of Christians in the, the grand redemptive narrative is important. And I just, yeah, I loved just the reminder that everything is not supposed to end in us.
1: Right, that's a good point. I think that's a good one to end on. Um, God's glory alone—that that should be our focus. That's the whole point of all the solas. Again, name them all.
0: Name them all. <laughs> <laughs> Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, God's glory alone. There you go. Five solas of the Reformation.
1: Yeah, hope you've enjoyed the series. If you have more interest in this, and I hope you do, uh, a big one of the bases we had for this was that God's glory. The five Sola series, which there's a one for each one of them uh, You can also, in a shorter way, look at really any of the catechisms And confessions that came out of the Reformation Especially uh, the Westminster Confession and Catechism uh, any, any systematic theology it's some, some good ones would be like Michael Bird's Evangelical Theology is going to really again? It's not necessarily going to hit the God's glory because that's not that's the doc that's the summary, not the doctrine. But you'll have the, anything that goes through the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of salvation. You're going to get glory, justification, faith, grace, uh, and so I hope. I hope you do study it more. That's it for us. Uh, I hope you've liked the series, and if you do like what you hear. Please go listen to some of our other stuff. Please rate, review, subscribe. I know it's always annoying to hear podcasters say that, but it really does help with the algorithm and uh, helps other people find us. And if you like it, share it with other people. So that's it for this series. We'll be back soon with more.